Welcome, my name's Ben. I'm the pastor here, and we are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples. Um, and I'm not sure how to get out of the sun here again. Awesome. All right, so until about a year ago, some of you guys know, I drove this 2006 Honda Civic, and it was a beautiful piece of machinery. Hear the chuckles from the corners already. And um, this was, it was not much to look at. Uh, the front bumper of my car was being held on by sheetrock screws. Uh, the, the trunk of my car would, would every time you, we went over a bump, causing people to always drive up next to me and say, and, um, the, the top of the car was peeling off with paint. You could kind of rub at it and more flakes would fall off like dandruff. And, um, it, was, it was the type of car that keeps your local mechanic in business. And it, it was in such bad shape, though, that my local mechanic uh, encouraged me, it's time to get a new car. <laughs> it's time to let it go. But I love this car. I had it for a long time. A lot of my single uh, adult years were in that car. And so um, it, has a, it had a special place in my heart, uh, yet it was time to let it go. But imagine with me for a minute if I were to have gone out and to bought a brand new shiny red Ferrari. Not in the budget, but imagine with me. Um, and imagine if I were to pop the, the shiny red panels off of that Ferrari and to screw on, probably with sheetrock screws, the dull, gray, flaky, painted panels of my Civic onto that Ferrari. That, that, Ferrari, that, that, that Ferrari would then look like a Civic. It would look like an old, trashy Civic if you could make it all fit together. But the thing is, it wouldn't be the old Civic. It would be a brand new car. It would look like the same old car, but it would actually be a brand new car. And if you were to get into that Ferrari hiding as a Civic and hit the gas pedal, it would not drive like the same old car. It would drive like a brand new car. That's what's true of, of a car. If you were to take the outside and to stick it, the, the, the body of, I don't know why somebody would do that, but the body of a Civic onto a, onto a Ferrari Today we're getting back into the letter of, of John, where John starts with this clear statement. Okay, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1a. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Let me read that again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And like that Ferrari hiding in the body of my Civic, when somebody believes that Jesus is the Christ, they have been born again. They have been made new. They look like the same old person on the outside, but inside they are not the same old person. They are brand new. The old, the old, the old person has gone, the new has come, though they look the same, right? And like that Ferrari hiding in the body of my Civic, not only would it look, not only would it be a new car, it would drive like a new car. You get behind the driver wheel, you, you push the the pedal, and it would go in a way that your, my, civic, my Civic never did. We also are brand new people. Born again, we will live like new people. We'll look the same on the outside, but we'll actually be brand new. Because the transformation that God works in us actually makes an actual change in our actual lives. It will transform us. And so today, John is going to focus on one way that the actual transformation that happens to us at the moment of our new birth actually changes our actual lives. He's focusing specifically in this passage on the way that it changes our love for one another. The way that it changes our love for one another, specifically in the church. 
that's what he's focusing on, and so that's what we're going to focus on. Let's pause and pray one more time, and then we'll dive into 1 John chapter 5 here. Heavenly Father, God, we, we are dependent upon your Spirit uh, to help me teach this clearly, to help our hearts hear and receive your words. Father, do your work in us. And may the result in us be a deeper love and affection for you and a life of obedience for you. We pray all of this, Lord, and that it would result in actual tangible transformation in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so some people uh, are very black and white about things. I think uh, faces and names are probably popping to your mind already. But somebody, if they're very black and white about something, they're going to say, that is right, that is wrong. That is true, that is false. And it's not wrong to be black and white. It's good to be black and white. Somebody who's black and white takes the truth seriously and, and praise God for that, right? At the same time, other people are more geared towards nuance. They might look at something and rather than saying that is true or or that is false, they might say, well, it kind of depends on the circumstances. Well, let's consider all the, all the factors here. Let's make sure that we've actually surveyed the whole situation and tried to come to a clear and true conclusion. Now, both a black and white person and somebody who's more geared to nuance, uh, they may believe the same things. They actually might believe the same things as strongly as one another, but the thing is they just approach the truth differently. They seek the truth differently. They articulate the truth differently. So a black and white person might stand five feet back from something and say, that is right, or that is wrong, when, a, when somebody more prone to nuance will want to zoom in and walk around it and check all the contours and say, this is right in these ways, and it's wrong in these ways. And I do want to argue that if you think about it, both of these approaches are actually equally committed to finding the truth. They both take the truth very seriously. They just go about finding it and articulating that truth in different ways. And the thing is, though, it might cause tension between people. I don't know if you're married to somebody who has a different way of handling that. Though it might cause tension, we need both kinds of people in this world. And that's a very nuanced thing to say. <laughs> but we need both kinds of people in this world. When we read 1 John, John is very black and white. The way that he speaks about truths are very black and white. So listen again to how John speaks in John chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Black and white. He doesn't say, uh, it seems that, you know, if, if somebody believes, then they, they probably uh, have come to believe and uh, been born again. He said, everyone, every single person who believes that Jesus Christ is the Christ, has been born again, who has truly trusted that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, who's died in our place and rose again, victorious over the grave, has been born again to new, eternal, everlasting life. They're new creations. And yet, surely, you know, when you look at that and you, and you think about it, what, what's not black and white about it? It actually is pretty darn clear. What nuance could we actually have with that statement? I think there actually is some nuance that I would want to add to that statement. I don't want to swoop in as Captain Nuance here and, and rescue this passage, but, but when I look at this passage, what I think to myself is, okay, yes, absolutely, we are made new in a moment. That's full and final. That's true and eternal. 
in a moment, at the moment of faith, we are new creations. We are forgiven. We are justified. It's done. His work is complete. He has taken his seat. Finished. Amen. However, God transforms us slowly over a lifetime. That's the nuance I want to add. I say, yes, okay, we're, we're done, but at the same time, you wake up the next morning, and you're still struggling with the same temptations. You wake up the next morning, and you're still prone to the same addictions. You're still struggling with the same burdens. We do not lose heart, though our outer selves is wasting away, for our inner selves are being renewed day by day, Peter says, right? So even as we affirm fully, yes, amen, in a moment God's work is done, we are complete, we are made new, we are born again, at the same time, Transformation happens over a lifetime. That's true. But here's the problem with jumping to that, I think, helpful nuance. The problem is, if I jump to that nuance too quickly, I can jump immediately over the actual, eternal, true, real, final transformation that has actually happened in you. If I jump over that, I'm almost helping us forget the fact we're Ferraris and civic bodies. No offense. We have an actual transformation, an actual power in us that we don't want to brush away, that we don't want to dismiss. We don't want to sand the edges off that eternal truth. We don't want to lose sight of what has actually been changing us, what is actually true of us now, even as we live in this world today. And so because this is true, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to look at one specific way that John says this actual new birth actually changes our actual lives. And that's in the area of how we love one another. So let me read to the end of this passage, all the way, the rest of chapter, or verse 1 through verse 5, okay? We'll put it up here on the screen. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Can I unpack that a little bit? Because he starts off, thanks Dale, because he starts off a little bit and says, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That's pretty clear. If you love God, if you have been born of him by faith, you will love other people who have been born of him by faith. If you love God, You will love the people who are your spirit-born brothers and sisters. If you love God, you'll love each other in the church. It's clear. His point isn't hard to understand. He continues, By this we know that that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. He's saying the same thing, turning it around. He's saying that the love of God and the love of believers is so inseparable that if we, love, if we know that somebody truly loves God, we can know with certainty that that person loves other people as well. Here's the point. You can't love God and not love his church. You can't do it. You can't separate the two. 
And even already, you might be thinking about some pretty serious objections to that. I want to ask you to hold on to those. We're going to come back to it. Because there's another part of this that I think we need to see before I come back to the hard part of that passage. It says this, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. What's that about? Because I tell you, I was wrestling with this passage for the past five days. I didn't finally understand what that meant until this morning before church. But it's key. And obey His commandments? I thought we were talking about love. I thought we were talking about loving God and loving others. What, how did we get to talking about obeying God's commandments, His rules, His, his law? How does that work? There's a couple passages that I think help unpack this a little bit. John chapter 14, 15. What does Jesus say? It's not up here. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay? Love and commandments go hand in hand. Let, let's switch those numbers. John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. And we even see this specifically connected to the command to love one another. So 1 John 3, 23. A little bit earlier in this same book. And this is his commandment. Here it is. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us. Love and commandment. It's a command for us to love one another. I mean, actually, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the point. It all goes together. None of these things can be separated. You can't love God if you don't obey God. You can't obey God if you don't love your brother. You can't love your brother if you don't love God. We can't separate these things. Yet it's hard to hear that we need to love others, and if we don't love others, we don't love God. What do we do with all of that? To speak in such a black and white way is really difficult, and I think it's difficult for three different reasons. Number one, people are hard to love. Can I get an amen? No, it's all right. All right. People can be really hard to love for, for serious reasons and for very petty reasons. It's hard to be around other people. So you hear this and you might think to yourself, okay, are you telling me that I don't love God if I don't love Jim Bob and his annoying sense of humor? Um, are you telling me I don't love God if I don't love Cat Picture Connie and her phone? coming out every 20 minutes to show me her, her cats? Is, is that what you're saying? I don't love God if I don't love them? Because the truth is the new birth, the transformation that God works in you when, you when you trust in Jesus Christ, will not remove what's annoying in other people. <laughs> when God transforms you, it doesn't change them. Yet we're called to love these people. Okay, so that's the first thing that's hard about this. People are hard to love. Second thing, our culture is very individualistic. And that, that includes our, our Christian culture, the church culture. It's very individualistic, and, and there's reason for that. We tend to think that our faith is between us and God. But here's what the new birth does with that. The new birth transforms this. Because though we come to Christ on our own, we do not follow Christ on our own. Let me say that again. Though we come to Christ on our own, we do not follow Christ on our own. We come to Christ on our own by grace through faith, by the grace of Jesus Christ, and by our faith in Him. That's, not, that's pretty individualistic, yet we don't follow Christ on our own. When we come to Him, we are adopted into a family. 
We are called into a community. God says, if you love me, you will love those who love me. That's what he's getting at in this passage. Our relationship with one another in the church as Christians is transformed by the new birth. More on that later. But let's get to the third thing that's hard about this passage. And this is maybe the one that's the biggest hurdle for us to get over in actuality. Because to love is to be selfless. And we're not very selfless by nature. (laughs) To love somebody is to want their good more than your own. The perfect picture of love, greater love is no one than this, is that he lays down his, his life for his friends. Love is hard because it requires that we say no to the things we want. Love is hard because it, desire, it, it requires that we want the good of them more than we want the good of ourselves. We've talked about this so much as we've gone through the book of 1 John. I'm trying to make it clear because we haven't talked about it in a couple weeks. But love and sacrifice go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two, and we are by nature selfish. Now, when we look back a little bit in the book of John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, John uses this expression, uh, the love of the world. Do you you remember this? It was a number of months ago now. He basically says to them, don't love the world and the things of the world. And by by that, he doesn't mean mountains and trees and and butterflies and other people. He's, He's not talking about not loving beautiful graces that God has put in this world. He tells us clearly what he means in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, clarifying, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. What he's telling us is that when John talks about the world, he's talking about our selfish cravings. (laughs) He's talking about the things we see and we lust after. He's talking about the things that we use to feed our own appetites, to get what we want. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about loving the world. And so, in this passage, to love the world makes it really hard to love other people. Right? Because it's hard to say, I'm not going to have that thing that we want so desperately, we want so deeply. But the good news here, be free, is that the new birth transforms that too. Look with me again at verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I don't think I can put it any clearer than one commentator said about this. Those who have been born of God have overcome the worldly tendency to satisfy their own cravings. And as a result, they are free to show love to others and so fulfill God's command. To put it even more clearly, God changes our loves. When God does a supernatural transformation in us, He changes the way we love. And that shows us that loving others is actually a supernatural result of the new birth. You can't just love God, love others, and keep his commandments in a free, willing, and unburdened way if you haven't been born again by faith. (laughs) If he hasn't taken out your old heart and given you a new heart. You can't just white-knuckle muster it. A selflessness, because 
It's hard to be selfless. It's hard to want what other people want more than yourself. This is something that God has to work in you by the power of His Holy Spirit. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The implied answer is nobody. You can't do it. And yet still, to love one another requires us to do hard things, to push ourselves, to, to, to sacrifice. It takes effort. So in 1989, uh, my, my mother-in-law, Gloria, uh, met, dated, and married uh, my father-in-law, uh, Daniel. I, I think it all happened in the span of like three weeks. Uh, it was a love story for the ages. And um, I, I'm sure that Gloria's marriage to my father-in-law didn't happen the way that she was expecting her marriage to happen. I'm sure that when Gloria was a girl dreaming about her future marriage, she didn't picture it happening this way. Because a few years before they got married, Daniel was married to another woman named Diane. And he and Diane had three boys, Reagan, uh, Zach, and, and Devin. And then she passed away from breast cancer. And so when Gloria married my father-in-law, Daniel, she didn't only become the wife of a man, she became the husband of three boys, 12, 10, and 7. That's not how you picture your marriage. Uh, that's not what, what you picture stepping into when you step into a new life with your spouse. And the thing is, many of us have experienced that, I think, yeah, in this church. I know many of you who have married other people who have already had kids, and instant parenting isn't the easy way to do it. It is a hard road to take. So the question is, why did you do it? Why did Gloria do it? It's a simple answer. It's because you love their father, or you love their mother. The reason that you're willing to become an instant parent to the other kids is because of your love for their parent. And so put yourself in those shoes if you haven't been in those shoes. Put yourself in glorious shoes if you haven't been in those shoes yourself. And again, I know many of you have. Because you love your spouse, you're willing to love his or her kids. And when I say love, I don't mean just affection, I mean action. When you love your kids, those kids, you're willing to make sacrifices of your time to seek and to foster relationship with them. You're willing to make sacrifices of your energy to raise and to rear them, to discipline and disciple them. You're willing to make sacrifices of your money to provide for them and to, to care for them. You're willing to do those things, not because you love them initially, but because you love their father, because you love their mother. But what if Gloria said to my to my father-in-law, I love you. I'm just really not into your kids. Um, I'm not interested in sacrificing my time, my, my energy, my money. I mean, we've got a good thing going. Let's just focus on that. I'll give all my time to that, and we'll call it good. What would my father-in-law say? He would say, wait a second, no, that's not how it works, <laughs> right? He said, you can't love me and not love my kids. He'd say, I love them, so for you to love them, or to love me, is to love them. For you to love me is for you to give your time, your, your energy, your money to, uh, to helping and caring for and, and loving them. To do that is an act of love for me. Because of the deep, eternal love that a, that a parent has for their child, you really, you really can't love a parent without loving their children. The two go hand in hand. And so it is with the church. 
if you love him, if you love God, if you've entered into eternal covenant, marriage-like relationship with God, you will love his kids. All nuance gone. You'll make sacrifices of your time to seek and foster relationship with his kids. You'll make sacrifices of your energy to, to care for and disciple his kids. You'll make sacrifices of your money to provide for and to care for your kids. You'll do all this not primarily because of your love for the church, but because of your love for the Father. It's your love of God that leads you to love the church. But what if you say to God, God, I love you. I'm just really not into your kids. <laughs> Their perfume's too strong. Those cat pictures do not interest me. <laughs> I don't want to give my time to your kids. I, I don't want to give my energy to your kids. I don't want to give my money to those kids. I'm just going to focus on you and me because, God, we've got a good thing going. Apparently, what God would say to you, if, if John is right, and he is, he'd say, wait, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> I love them. So to love me is to love them. I love them, so to give your time, your energy, your money, to sacrifice for them is an act of love and honor and devotion and worship to me. Because, to, uh, because of the deep eternal love that God has for his people, the love of God and the love of his church cannot be separated any more than the love of a parent and the love of a child can. And so if you've been born again, if you're, if you're here today, you, you have been born into a family. You've been saved by your own personal faith, but your faith isn't something you live individually anymore. We do it together. We're called into a community. Does that change the way you love your church? Does that change the way that you love the universal church? Does that change the way that you see your relationship with other people who call God Daddy too? Because according to John, it should. And as we mentioned a little bit ago, love can be a tricky word because love is an affection. It would be wrong for us to say that love is not an affection. It is an affection. It's just more than an affection. Love is an affection mixed with an action. The affection and the verb go together hand in hand, and they really can't be separated. We know that this happens in one direction, right? If you have deep affection for somebody, it drives you to sacrificially give of yourselves for them and to serve them. Affection leads to action. I, I want to argue it happens the other way around. Action leads to affection. That when you love somebody sacrificially, the love travels to your heart, from your hands to your heart. Have you ever experienced that? Because, I mean, I, I think about Gloria. My mother-in-law, she started kissing boo-boos and cooking meals instantly. She started going to soccer games and listening to the hard problems were going on in these kids' lives instantly. She started loving them in action instantly. Before that affection had grown. She sacrificed her time to seek and foster those relationships, her energy to care for and disciple them. To, to, she started sacrificing her resources and pooling them all together so that, that she and her new husband, Daniel, could provide for and care for them. And today, she has grown to love those boys just as much as she loves the kids that she bore herself. There's no difference when we're together. She loves them as her own kids. Her love for them started with action, and it grew into affection. And that's what happened 
with me and this church. I did not move to Alton, New Hampshire because I have an affection for you. <laughs> I, I didn't know you. I couldn't have had affection for you, right? But I came here because I had affection for the Father. It's my love for God that led me to come here and to sacrifice uh, proximity to my family, to sacrifice my time, my energy, to pour into this church, to pour into you. And in time, I've grown to love you with true, deep affection. My love for this church, the people in this church, started not with affection, but with action. And it grew into affection. And so here's what my charge is for you, my challenge for you this week. You might be really, you might have been in this church for a long time. You might have deep relationships in this church. You might already have a deep affection love for this church. But if you want that love, or if you want that love to grow, number one, seek the love of the Father. Number one, grow in your burning zeal for him. Let him work a supernatural transformation in you. And then out of loving obedience to him, and by the power of his Holy Spirit that he has put in you, love this church in action first. Sacrifice your time by seeking and fostering a relationship with us. Sacrifice your energy by caring for and discipling one another. Sacrifice your money by providing for and caring for and fueling the mission of this church. And I promise you that in time, your affection will grow for the people here. Your intimacy will grow. These won't just be people you stood alongside of on Sundays mornings. These will be people that you've poured your life into. And that changes your relationship with one another. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. That love starts with action, and it cultivates and grows and matures into deeper and deeper affection. Be free. Let's be a church who loves in that sacrificial, active way, so that when people walk through our doors, they can see not action only, but affection as well. Let's love one another as Christ loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. God, we don't have to wonder what love looks like. You showed us what love looks like. For you, you showed us that love looks like laying down your life. The greatest act of love in history we see in you and we received from you, God. We pray that that would transform the way that we love one another. That we would long for the good of one another. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would work the world out of us. Work a desire for each other's good into us. Father, be glorified by our lives as we more and more come to reflect your sacrificial love and our love for one another. Thank you, God. We love you and we worship you now.